0: Ludicrous when you first hear that, like any teacher going, what are you talking about? How can you forget about the kid? The kid's the most important part of what we do. The massive shift, the absolute game changer has been when you can succinctly drill into a key issue.
1: Curtis and Lorna's Collaborative Response Symposium keynote address in 2022 brought forth a number of contradictory statements. Join us for the next leading collaborative response where Curtis addresses the contradictory statement. Support the student by not focusing on them during the collaborative team meeting, as well as a number of other topics pertaining to the psychology of collaborative team meetings. We look forward to connecting with
2: you. Leading organizations with intentionality and purpose is complex work and dedicated leaders work tirelessly each and every day to build impactful cultures of collaboration, but effective collaboration is difficult and messy. The good news is you don't have to do it alone. Join the Jigsaw Learning team for Leading Collaborative Response, sharing insights for leaders committed to establishing, refining, and deepening collaborative response in their organization.
1: Welcome back to Leading Collaborative Response. I'm joined again by lead learner and co-founder of Jigsaw Learning, Curtis Hewson. Hey hi, Jen. Curtis! It
0: oh hi, how's it going?
1: It's going well. It's been a while since we've seen you.
0: Yes, absolutely. We had a a great summer to just put uh, this work aside for a little while and focus on family and friends, and now right back at it and supporting schools and organizations.
1: You had some big events this summer. Yeah,
0: yeah absolutely. We had uh, my oldest daughter graduated high school. So that was super exciting and has started University a Communications and Media degree. So maybe at some point we can be bringing her on and accessing her expertise for what it is that we do here. And we also had another daughter get married, which was super exciting. They had just a fantastic wedding, exactly what they wanted, an opportunity to just be with friends and celebrate being together. It was was gorgeous. Nice outdoor wedding. Loved it. How about you?
1: You know, it was a, a busy summer with the kids and getting them together with the cousins and my mom so that we had some time together before they start summer jobs next year is their plan. So it's kind of one last hurrah getting everybody together and just yeah, connecting with people and taking some time. So it
0: was yeah. it
1: was good to to breathe and relax and recharge and, and regain that invigoration that goes into the work. Well,
0: and being able to uh, see the kids with uh, your trip out to the lake as well. Um, Yeah, there's a wee bit of growing that has happened. Uh, It's no secret that uh, Jimmy moving into football is not a surprise. He's sprouted a little bit. Just a little bit. He is officially taller than Trent now. Yeah, nice. Yeah, it makes him the
1: tallest person on the Ferguson side of the family. So... (laughs)
0: <laughs> He's got that to hold over everyone. He Literally. Does. Yeah. Which he
1: holds over his sister very regularly.
0: Okay, that's good. That's what brothers have to do.
1: I guess it's the psychology of siblings, right? Yeah, that's right. Hey, nice segue. That was beautiful. <laughs> well, because we are talking about psychology today yeah. about the psychology of collaborative team meetings. So there is a lot of intentionality that goes yeah. into how a collaborative team meeting works. Can you talk a little bit about your experience from where they started to where you've seen them grow and what that intentionality is all about?
0: Yeah, so for anyone watching this, when we talk about a collaborative team meeting, it uh, is about bringing people with diverse skill sets and experiences with students and being able to um, really follow a specific way of thinking. We used to do it one student at a time. So I'd come and I'd say, I want to talk about Jimmy and I tell you everything going on, everyone would say, you could do this, you could do this, someone else would jump in and say, I, I also teach Jimmy, I could do this and this. And you'd be really actions oriented and um, solutions focused. But sometimes those conversations, um, I might get defensive with getting overwhelmed with all the ideas that were coming in, I might turn into well, I've tried that I've done that or in the back of my head thinking, who do you think I am? Like, duh, of course, I've tried that suggestion, there was always something that could deviate the process slightly. And so we found that when we have collaborative team meetings now, we shift that focus in some very, very subtle ways. And there's some real intentionality and psychology behind it that we've learned. And it's been exciting now to try using that process, um, not just around students. When we have divisional teams that come together to talk about schools. They can follow that process we've started it with our jigsaw learning we tried one in fact we've got another meeting coming up here oh in a couple hours around using the same format to talk about the schools and districts that we're working with our partners so the process works really really well but it's taken time to get there and there is there is intentionality and, and some psychology that comes along with it as well. Jen what's been your experience of that shift that you've seen from when we first were introducing collaborative team meetings in uh, Northern Gateway when you were there to what it is that we talk about now?
1: Oh it's it's truly enhanced the conversations the the idea of having someone in the hot seat frankly when they bring that student forward and they're yeah that's
0: what it it used to be like We'd actually see people lean in if they were the ones on the hot seat and other people physically lean back going, okay, it's not my turn. Yeah, that's a great point.
1: Yeah, and now now you're getting complete conversation and back and forth happening and everybody's opening up their toolbox to say this is how we can address an issue. And then people have that professional judgment where they can say this is what's going to work for me in how I operate in my classroom. And so this is what I'm going to try. So it well, was really, it really brings up their own efficacy and gives them the capacity to keep moving forward.
0: Well, and I think it honors that idea that we all come in as experts Um, I, everyone has expertise to contribute to any of the conversations, but we also come in as learners, I could always learn something new from you, Uh, someone can learn something new from me, and then we can help support one another, to do that in whatever the, the topic is that we're talking about. I know today we're going to talk about kids, but the application into other areas has been really sensational as it's, as we've grown the understanding of it.
1: Absolutely. I, I remember the first time working at Division Office in Learning Services and going through that collaborative team meeting process and saying, this is how we should be addressing supports for schools. These yeah. are the kinds of conversations we should be having. So yeah, I'm really right. excited to see that part of collaborative response growing and then bringing it into the work that we're doing is absolutely fascinating.
0: Yeah, it is. It's been an interesting journey, but a lot of learning that's gone on behind it for sure
1: like any good learning opportunity there's a lot of front loading that happens to making Mm -hmm. these collaborative team meetings productive and intentional and focused on building up teachers yeah so let's start with the idea of the agenda yeah you talk to me about that structure and and what's happening around the intentionality
0: yeah you bet so um sometimes the the structure when people first see it it can be a little bit scary <laughs> a little bit intimidating um, and there is front loading that has to happen as a leader there's there's a little bit of pre work or homework that get, happens before that conversation um, but in time it just becomes natural and the structure helps incredibly so when you think about the agenda um, one of the things that we found is when we first start with the process. We come with an agenda slash notes document that we're adding our notes right into it, but that it's not a free flow type of document. It's not something where I open it up, press enter six times so I can make space because I'm going to record everything that's happening. We're not taking notes necessarily. We're following a process that goes. So one of the things that you'll see, um, we'll include a blog posting that talks about the agenda that has an agenda template and a sample, But you'll notice that everything is set up in tables. There's boxes to complete. And essentially, the walking through and completing the next box helps with the process. So instead of just saying celebrations, and there's a huge space for it, we put in a table that says student, celebration, and why. And I'll talk a little bit, in a bit around the intentionality of that. When it comes to the student, we want a box at the bottom that says action, who's responsible, and timeline rather than just an open space where we're gonna take a bunch of notes. The, the structure of that agenda is really, really important. And yeah, yeah, you nailed it with the word of intentional, very intentional and just like a fish in time, or not in time, a fish doesn't recognize the water that it's in, in time we don't recognize necessarily the structure cause it's just contributing to the conversations that are happening.
1: You talk about that and and I feel very fortunate to be part of the team that's working on WeCollab because it's an, an intentional record keeping yeah. that is built around that agenda. Every pop-up that comes up, every click that you make is basically filling in all those tables so that at the end of the meeting, it's printing out the same thing that you would record in that Google Doc, but it's also mm-hmm. creating individual student meeting notes from that same meeting in one place.
0: Well, and you've heard me say this over and over, it's the process trumps the tool, Um, whatever tool you're utilizing to take those notes, uh, the process is more important, but an effective tool can support and enhance the process. And people will say, well, it takes away, it might take away from the free flow of ideas. And I would argue it actually generates the free flow because you're using the structure to get to creative and innovative thinking it it doesn't stifle it enhances incredibly when it comes to the creativity and innovation that comes when we start working through the process
1: and it keeps things in a lane right yeah, our lane yeah. is this right now we're not yeah. over here we're not over here this is the lane we're in for now this is where yeah, we're traveling
0: absolutely. and i think in time people come to really appreciate that clarity and predictability. Like those are two huge factors when you think about team effectiveness, clarity around what are we talking about? Who's doing what? What's our next step and predictability that I know how the conversation is going to unroll uh, each time. It it just creates um, the ability to feel safe in that when that, that agenda, that structure is, absolutely predictable time and time again
1: well we talk about that when we talk about our students right the rituals huh. and and that we create in our classrooms those rituals that we have the process of intentionality around the collaborative team meeting is done in the same way to support those learners in the room yeah and build that space for them
0: well and as the adults if I know part of the process is someone's going to ask me a question and I know in fact what the question is going to be ahead of time I'm really well prepped for that I I don't get felt like I'm being thrown under the bus. I don't feel like, um, like someone's putting me on the spot. I, I'm, I come to predict exactly what's going to happen within this. I remember watching a, a Patrick Lencioni video when he talked about the idea of relational trust. And it's that idea of predictability. And I, I, I can predict how people are going to respond and engage with one another.
1: So still on that topic of front loading so we yeah. have an agenda that's built out a beautiful structure for us. Yep. But there's certain things that need to be in place in order for that agenda to run effectively. One of those things is norms, another yeah, one of those things is rules. Up. Yeah. So let's start with norms. Okay. What are they? Why are they important and how do they contribute to the collaborative team meeting?
0: Okay, so this is something that many people have heard me say that early on I did not understand that norms were critical to the process. I thought those were for organizations where the people in the room didn't necessarily get along and you needed some rules, rules that we all agree that we will follow. But I've come to understand that really, when you articulate norms, you're voicing things that may be assumed. And when we operate off assumptions, that can become problematic over time. Um, when we create those norms, we, we create, again, clarity for us but then more important than just we made norms once two years ago and it's it's on a poster on the wall or it's at the front of every agenda but nobody ever looks at it we want to be practicing and reinforcing that so um always try and reinforce that you start every meeting we don't have to read the norms word for word although that might be valuable when we're first utilizing them um but in time i want to say okay one of our norms is that um, we will all engage with an open mind. Okay. So when we're engaging with an open mind, we'll say words like, So I think what you're saying is, so today, every time, Jen, you hear somebody say that, make a little note. And we're going to try and get to at least six in our conversation today. You know, we take one and we just practice it. Or to say one of our norms is that we will be active listeners. So at the end, we're going to take just five minutes and talk about how did everyone felt they did. On that particular norm, it's again, you talked about routines, you're just practicing it over and over, and it might feel difficult at the start, but it builds such incredibly high functioning teams over time.
1: Well, when you go back to those norms and focus on that, that one for that particular meeting, like you're highlighting it, but you're also reinforcing it. Yeah. And and when you say giving voice to those assumptions, it gives people the ability to have conflict productive conflict
0: yeah 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 because exactly. they know that
1: in that space these are the norms that we're operating by and so they they feel okay putting out a challenge where before they might not have
0: right because i don't know how a person will react or someone will be put off but if we said um that one of the things that we believe is important is that we will challenge each other's thinking in these conversations okay so today we're going to practice that you have everybody has a set of question cards in front of you use one today just small little incremental steps so it just in time feels natural we don't have to practice that particular one and then in time being able to say okay one of the norms is that we agree we'll arrive on time and prepared what do we do if someone doesn't do that how will we react um let's make that really clear as well so it I'm, I'm a huge, huge believer in norms and sometimes catch myself not paying as much attention to them, even in our own organization as uh need to, to just keep building team. So the norms
1: is one of those precursors to having a collaborative team meeting and yeah. that whole process in and of itself. And we can share the the set of slides that goes with that of how to develop them.
0: Yeah. And Jen, with that, I've also learned, I used to tell teams, make norms before you ever start your conversations. I now say, have a collaborative team meeting first and then come back and say, okay, you've had the experience. What would be some norms that we would put in place as a result? I think that's valuable that people understand what the structure is going to look like and then say, okay, that structure would be way more productive if we agreed that we can share ideas without judgment. That's a norm we should have, because in that meeting, I felt a little bit judged when I was saying some things. So it, it, it's almost the experience might determine what are the rules of engagement that we'll establish.
1: So going forward, then, we're going to talk about roles. Yeah. Where would you introduce those roles? Before the first meeting or through the first meeting or after the first meeting?
0: Okay, great question. I would... In, introduce the roles beforehand, but just focus on three. I always say to schools, and actually I would put this to any organization, start with three simple roles. Who's the facilitator? Who's the note taker? And who's the timekeeper? Focus on those three to start and utilize them intentionally. And people will say, oh, you put a timer, it feels like we're capping the conversation. In a sense, we are. We're trying to get used to the idea of being efficient in our conversations, through the use of that timekeeper, it also ensures that that we're able to be succinct and get to the point over time. Now, I would start those right at the start and I would even take some time at the start to say, okay, the facilitator, in my role, this is the job I'm going to do. And we have we'll share a blog posting about roles where there's some schools use roll cards or tent cards that, you know, Today, I'm the facilitator. And on the back of the card, it says, here's, your, here's what you do when you do that job. Now, in time, I don't need to reference that. But again, it's it's a learned skill for a team to get used to those. And then in time, we find that, you know, in our meetings the last few times, we've had several of us go off on tangents that have hurt the conversation or boom, time's up and we hadn't really got anywhere. Well, let's introduce an interrupter rule, And next time it's going to be their job to um, hold up a card or interrupt. We, we all agree that would be helpful for us. And then when it happens, again, predictability, I'm, I'm not offended when somebody jumps in and says, yes, but what are we going to do? That's my, that's my line to date. That's the, on the back of my card as the interrupter. That's what it says that I'll do. And then we've seen lots of schools introduce different roles that um again help reinforce process i think what it also does jen is it creates shared ownership so that the leader doesn't have to account for everything and i made that mistake myself as a principal starting these of i'd be taking notes keeping track of time trying to lead the conversation and it led me to not doing any of the three really well Where now, if I'm facilitating, somebody else is going to take notes, someone else is going to time because I'm listening really intently so that I can help with next questions and direct to the next person. I I think the roles are incredibly valuable um, in any type of meeting that you come in, but in the collaborative team meeting, it's essential. And again, it feels awkward when you start, but becomes just natural and people start to understand these are helping the conversation.
1: I've seen a variety of schools where they started with the same person in the same role for every meeting have grown that process where the roles have become distributed so that everyone has a turn to sit behind whatever their role is. So everyone has an opportunity to facilitate a meeting, to see what it's like to prompt those questions and so on.
0: Oh man. And you're growing capacity so much when you do that, right?
1: Absolutely. So I have one more structure that happens before collaborative team meetings that I want to talk about. And it's that pre-meeting organizer. Mm -hmm. We've shared a number of templates and, and different districts have developed their own with their own steps of what they want to see when somebody brings a celebration to the table or when somebody brings a student of concern or a student for enrichment to the table. How does that contribute to the collaborative team meeting?
0: Yeah. And man, I wish I would have understood this um, when we first introduced the process, when I first saw a school do it, went, oh, that's genius. Um, I wish we would have been doing that. The idea that come ready with a student to celebrate, a student that uh, you're concerned, and in time your data and evidence will drive which type of student we want to bring to the conversation, and then who's a the student that you want to enrich. Now, we might not get to everyone on my list, and that's okay, What I want with the pre-meeting organizer is that people have given it some forethought. It also helps in time that if I have to jot some notes, in time, I'm going to make it succinct. So now in the meeting, when the facilitator turns and says, Jen, who's a student you'd like to celebrate and 20 seconds or less, what is that celebration? I'm ready. I don't have to go, ooh, can you ask somebody else? Sorry, I wasn't ready for that question. I'm totally prepped um, for that. And again, these don't get handed in. They, we're not necessarily collecting them, although I have seen some schools that do that when they start just to help with prepping for the conversation and do I know what's going to be coming to kind of be ready? And, and there's a little bit of accountability too that you're coming prepared for the conversation. Um, but I it helps the productivity and conversation so much. But I always reinforce for schools don't make it labor intensive. Um, again, you're not handing this in. Jot notes. Print it off and make sure that the box stays small to put your notes or ideas in. We don't want a story. We want succinctness. And I've, I've said before, eight words or less. Eight words or less should describe the key issue. And we'll get to why that's important. And uh, some of the psychology, we haven't really got to some of the psychology because the structural components are are so important to lead to um, some of the other elements that we'll I, I know we're going to get to in the conversation yeah. again
1: but there is psychology behind routines and rituals and structure that provides the safety and like you said the predictability yeah the transparency of what's coming so let's let's walk into a collaborative team meeting we've sat down we're getting started everyone has their role my favorite part of collaborative team meetings is the way that they start
0: yeah me too In fact, I was facilitating one, um, it was a school support team meeting today, but we infused the celebrations and that's what I told the group. This is my favorite spot, not just because of the positivity, but because of the efficacy that it brings about.
1: So I've always heard you talk about, we always start with celebrations. Yeah. Okay. So let's start with the why. Why do we start with celebrations?
0: Okay. So I used to believe it's about starting on a positive note. We're going to get to some hard conversations and yeah, we're really struggling with this kid, but I want to celebrate that Jacob went to the library this week to get his own book. The simple example. yay! he didn't get a book, but at least he knows where the library is. Now we're going to celebrate small steps. And I thought it was just about, let's start with positivity. Let's start with strengths. Let's, uh, let's focus on the good, but have learned in time that there's way more that happens in the celebrations by focusing in on a question and it is when you raise a celebration for me to say what did you do or did we do that led to that success that follow-up question is a game changer where before we'd ask the celebration someone say oh i'd like to celebrate jen she's doing x y and z we take the notes and go oh that's awesome good for jen and then we go anyone else have a celebration but we missed a critical question we wanted to ask, so what did you do that led to that success? So there is psychology behind that. And there's three reasons. Again, first is it starts on a positive note. Yeah, that's that's important just for mindset in the room. But what else it does is it forces us to reflect on our practice. We know and we've heard a uh, colleague, Simon Brakespear, talk about the importance of reflection and reflective practice that happens um, in our profession. So when we ask that question, we're forcing people to reflect on what it is that we did. But then when I share out, well, I think what led to that was when I sat down with Jen and laid out a bit of a, a script that she's going to use in class during this time. Well, that just did two things. First, it's, might prompt some other questions of, so when you sat down, did you do that in private? Did you do it when others were in the room? I'd like to understand how that did, but everyone else in the room is learning right now. They're all, le- yeah, leaning in, leaning in and hearing, how did you do that? You're, you're exposing your, your um, expertise during that conversation, and it might be, so you created a script. Could you share that with us of what that looks like Where we've started in the bottom of the celebrations on the meeting agenda now, putting an action responsible and timeline right there, because there might be some things that come up in the celebrations that we need to share. But then I think the biggest piece, and this is truly some of the psychology behind it, is it reinforces over and over again that what we're doing is having impact, positive impact, and it stops that mindset of, well, there's nothing we can do until... This happens until the student does this, until I can focus on all the things out of my control and it can feel hopeless, it can feel frustrating. When we can over and over come back to what did we do that led to impact, it's reinforcing what um, we've come to know as collective efficacy, which uh, so much of the research and Hattie's research and Donahue has really talked about how critically important that is for overall success across an organization when we can identify what is it that we're doing that's having impact and I have evidence of that impact massive absolutely massive and it again when I hear schools say well we've got so many concerns we have to talk about we don't have time for celebrations I would come back and argue oh my goodness you're you're missing a key part of team building and sharing expertise it it doesn't have to be long but we need that 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 space to really reflect on what are we doing that works.
1: well it it's truly empowering to watch teachers be asked that question, yeah and have them articulate things that they themselves have taken for granted in their own practice.
0: Absolutely. yeah. And you know it's it's uh, I've seen this many times of well, I, I don't think I really did anything. Um, the, the kid, it just clicked for him until you start asking some further questions and then get the realization of, Oh, actually me doing that might've triggered this. Okay. And, and then it says, Ooh, what if we tried that with another student or somebody else? And again, like you, you did the lean in on your screen. Others are leaning in and going, Ooh, that's interesting. I hadn't thought of it quite that way
1: yeah it takes the celebration away from being it's about one student for one teacher to or accidental. our students
0: yeah yeah what are we doing for our students and success isn't happening by accident it's 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 the efforts we're putting in
1: it's purposeful absolutely so we transition out of celebrations we've already started building efficacy by sharing and yeah, this we, is where we
0: take just even 10 minutes To be able to do that. And then we're going to shift a little bit in our agenda.
1: And this is where I've heard you and Lorna talk about contradictory statements. You started sharing this in your keynote at Symposium, but that statement that we're going to provide supports for students by actually not focusing on the student.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And which sounds ludicrous when you first hear that. Like any teacher going, What are you talking about? How can you forget about the kid? The kid's the most important part of what we do.
1: Well, and we ask teachers to come to the table with a student or yeah, a couple with of a student in mind. mind. Yep. So we've come to the table. We have this student in mind. How do we get from focusing on that student to actually providing more support by not focusing on them?
0: Yeah. And so it goes back to that early learning of when we focus on the student and then the teacher bringing the student, it could sometimes lead to things out of our control. Well, there's nothing we can do until the family does this or until um we get more resources around this um sometimes a person could put up their hands and go i've done everything i just somebody else take this student the massive shift the absolute game changer has been when you can succinctly drill into a key issue and so i'll often say eight words or less let's try and drill in and it's really hard when we first start because I want everyone to know the background. I want everyone to try and understand the depth that's happening. And I want everybody to know what I've tried because I've tried a lot of things. But when I say as a facilitator, Jen, who's a student that you've brought and 20 seconds or less, what's a key issue we want to hone in on? Again, it triggers a reflection. Uh, Hopefully the pre-thought has happened in that organizer and it takes time. This isn't going to be perfect the first time you do it, but when you can drill in and say, I think... My key issue that I'm dealing with right now is inappropriate interactions with peers. Okay, so let's I might have to ask a few more questions around, do you see that happening most when your instruction in the class, or when there's unstructured time, so we might hone in and just tweak it a little bit to get to a place of okay, the key issue is inappropriate interactions during unstructured times. Okay. Now I stop and I take the attention off the student and off the teacher. And I say to the others in the room, does anyone else have a student where you're experiencing inappropriate interactions with peers during unstructured time? Now, no stories, just names. And someone will say, yeah, you could add Isabella to that. Someone else, we add others. Now, what that does is a few things first with no stories. It allows others to engage in the conversation rather than leaning out and going. I'll wait till we get to my kid. I can relate to inappropriate interactions during unstructured time. I, I've got someone with that. So now that it, you
1: mention it,
0: <laughs> now that you mention it, and now everyone can lean in just a little bit on it. I, I like the lean in. We're we're utilizing that a fair bit here, Jen. Um, it also reinforces to the teacher that you're not bad. It, this is not an expression of shame to bring forth something that you're struggling with what that does is it creates vulnerability and safety that i can feel safe coming and sharing this is something that i'm struggling with and when others go oh yeah me too i'm not alone i'm not alone um it also and i've heard some schools go well why don't you just take the student off because the student as soon as you've got a name it always leads to a story and i would encourage you to work through trying to pare down but don't lose the kid or the name there's just something inherent about this being connected to a human being that makes the conversation have more urgency or importance um, for us and and it gives me a face to focus in on so once we say okay we have these seven students where inappropriate interactions during unstructured time is happening. Okay, forget the names for a second. We're going to take eight minutes. Go. What do you do? What are some different ideas? And now the brainstorming that happens, the innovation is truly inspiring. Every person can jump in and say, this is something I've tried. And when someone shares, um, okay, I, I model it. For my class of how to interact with peers appropriately and then someone else would say what if we took a video of that being modeled and we could utilize it with other what if we had some students do it at the same age and we create a video and somebody else goes I actually have found some on YouTube that I utilize uh quite often here I'll put a link in the agenda and somebody else says um you know I found it effective if I go and work individually with the student during this time and someone else will say "Ooh." What if we took some of these students together and um, tried tried your idea? Now, during the brainstorming, it's so important that we're not evaluating. You're not jumping in and saying, no, 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 that won't work for for my Isabella. We're just offering up ideas. Again, it's the idea that we're all experts. We have something to contribute, but something's going to surface that triggers an idea or something I hadn't thought of. Or in time, I don't know what that is and I need help. Jen just offered a strategy that I've never heard of, or I'm not sure how to do. I need help with that. And it won't happen right away. But you'll see oftentimes after collaborative team meetings where someone will come up and go, can you share that website with me? Or I I didn't want to look foolish in front of the other people, because I know we talked about this on a PD day. But can you remind me where that is? And again, we want to get to a place of no, don't look foolish. This is, this is hectic job. This is what we're doing. um, Let's throw all the ideas on the table. And being able to record those ideas is important. You've seen different schools that then start posting up, you know, if key issue is X, here's um, the ideas that we can try. Our our WeCollab software supports that, um, that exactly, that I can put a key issue, I can attach other students, and then we can brainstorm, and then we can start sliding some of the brainstormed ideas in. But Jen, do you want to talk about the aha, that we had in regards to maybe this has been brainstormed before well, maybe we've that, already had a team in the school talk about this last week or last month or last and that's year that's exactly
1: it like i i watched you facilitate meetings in, in a school amongst different grade teams and your ability to go back to a grade team and say well actually in this grade level meeting they talked about right. this key issue and here are some of the ideas that they." the humanities well. department
0: were talking about this very thing in their last collaborative team meeting that's Let's access our brains.
1: And it puts a lot of onus on that person as a facilitator to remember the conversations and so on and so forth. Whereas in the software, we were able to build in that the brainstorm will come up again if that same key issue is brought up.
0: Yeah, It's not limited
1: to, you're not stuck with these are the only ideas, but here are some ideas that your school has already thought of. Let's add to that, but then the ideas aren't lost. And they're not in a Google Doc we have to track down and go find or they just pop up when you put in that key issue. It is it is a glorious piece within the yeah. software. I, yeah. I love it.
0: <laughs> um, I think then once we've had that bit of a brainstorm and we want to, again, no, no evaluation, do not start talking, start talking about, well, that would work really well for this student. Don't yet. We want to then be at a place where let's action now. And to be able to say, all right, Jen, from what you've heard, what's one thing that you want to try for Isabella moving forward? Now, when you first start, you will hear things like, well, I've tried everything on the list and I'd question that a little bit, but that may be true. Or um, I really don't think some of the things will work. But in time, as we build trust in the process, you'll hear things like, I'd like to try that idea. I'm going to stretch myself just a little bit. You might even hear, I'd like to try that, but I need help. I'm not sure how to do that. Um, and again, as leaders, we can be listening for that and being able to help support to say, okay, well, what if I could free you up so that you could go observe this person, um, trying that particular activity? What this also does is it leaves our, our teachers, our staff, um, those that are responsible uh, for next steps in control. It's not somebody telling you what you should do. It's saying... I know the student. I didn't have to tell the rest of you the whole background story. Um, But knowing what I know about the student, I really like the idea of role playing because this kid is huge into drama. I think role playing would be an incredible thing that I hadn't tried yet. I'm going to try that. Put me down. And again, with the structure of the agenda, we'd say, great, we need a timeline. When would you try that by? I'm going to try tomorrow. Mark me down for tomorrow so that we can see. And again, within the agenda that's noted, within the software, I'm going to get a reminder tomorrow that says, have you tried that? How did it go? Um, and we can start building up the understanding of so what works and doesn't work for different students. But the key issue process has been absolutely remarkable. Um, I We're sharing a podcast um, called Collaborative Response for Organizational Success of how could this apply in organizations outside of education and i know jen you know this because you were there in the podcast i shared that we tried this in our own jigsaw learning organization of bring up a partner a school that we're working with a key issue that you're experiencing you followed the same process and it was 18 minutes we had generated i think it was 22 or something like that ideas and then it resulted in 12 actions moving away man incredibly productive use of time sharing of expertise we heard things that i didn't even know um, other people were trying or were happening resources that people had created that no one had had seen or heard of yeah it's it's a magical process
1: oh it is an absolutely magical process and you talked about the teacher knowing the student what i really find in those conversations as well is that the teacher knows themselves So as they're picking from that list of ideas, they get to pick the support that matches the relationship that they have with that student. They know themselves, they know the student, they know what's going on there. So it's not, it's not forced. It's not, it's truly Um, something that could become inherent in their teaching practice.
0: Yeah. Somebody mentioned the use of an iPad. Oh, Oh, man, that scares me. It's in my room. I'm not sure how that would look. Well, that's okay. It's not something you have to put now eventually. We want to get people to the place of, that's scary for me, and it's okay to admit that, and I'd like some help to further grow. We often say that when you leave a collaborative team meeting, not only should there be actions in place that will benefit students, but everyone should walk away just a little bit stronger from the conversation, or at the very least, knowing where to go for some additional resources that they may not have known before the conversation. So again, you can see that idea of Building vulnerability. Amy Edmondson talks about psychological safety. It creates immense amounts of psychological safety over time. As I turn off my phone, um, over time, that is so critical for for team dynamics and team effectiveness.
1: You talked a little bit about the software. One of the other things that I really like about it. So you're talking about supports. So we can put in a school's built-in continuum of supports we can put in these actions. Yeah, we didn't
0: talk about a continuum. We haven't even talked about the continuum, but that's
1: typically where the brainstorming starts. Yeah, Yeah, that's a whole other piece. That's typically where the brainstorming starts. But the idea is that as you put these in and you can track their effectiveness for kids. So Mm -hmm. now we can take a look at all the things that we're doing and how well they're working. It's absolutely fabulous data to take back when we go to brainstorm and say, how are we putting together our time our money our personnel to supporting kids
0: well and you know Jen again this is the evolution of the process in a school is I would suggest that when you first start out every idea is a good idea Um, like lead from that mindset but eventually we're going to reach a place of you know actually our data tells us some ideas are better than others so we should be trying these things first if we're finding that they're having success with a large number of students. So but it's uh, in we time. We just
1: talked about a collaborative team meeting. Like you and I are old hat at this. We, we've we <laughs> been been involved in this for a number of years.
0: And I learned something from everyone still too. It's fascinating.
1: It's It's been a, a fascinating number of years to see the process grow from from where it was. And you see the software grow from where it was. I mean, originally it was identified to be replacing science boards with cards on them.
2: Yeah,
1: <laughs> And the evolution of it. And it's because the process has evolved as we've learned from everyone.
2: Absolutely. But
1: one of the things that you say in your various presentations is start slow to go fast. And that's what I often hear when I talk to leaders after they've engaged with you is, okay, start slow to go fast. I'm going to work on this piece of the collaborative team meeting right now. Yep. Can't necessarily do it
0: all at once. But it'll come. And all of a sudden, you'll look back a year later and go, "Man, have our conversations changed?" And probably the most critical piece in this gen is, yeah, you're you're reinforcing the formalized structures. But the informal conversations that happen in the hallways after school, they start to sound different um, for us. they They, shift to solution focused thinking rather than just pure venting and and yeah there's a time for that as well but it's just you're you're shifting mindset collectively which is is powerful and and it's done through a series of structures and processes but the collaborative team meeting is is the heart of it all
1: oh the collaborative team meeting is a culture changer
0: yeah it is
1: So that brings us to our question.
0: This question is brought to you by WeCollab.
1: Designed by educators for educators, this comprehensive digital system aligns with the foundational components of collaborative response. Moving from conversation to action, WeCollab empowers classrooms, schools, and systems to provide the very best response for each and every child by informing action-based decision-making with data and evidence supporting student success. that brings us to our question. How do you know that a collaborative team meeting has gone well?
0: Yeah, that's a good one. Um, well, there's a couple things first let's include in the description, some tools that we have that can help people in the reflection. We have a reflection organizer, we have a participant exit slip and we have a leadership self-reflection, just a few little tools that can help in people answering for themselves. Um, what's gone well for me you know I I read a book a little while ago Charles Duhigg um, and I forget the title bigger better faster something to that effect Um, but he's also got a YouTube video that talks about his work in or his coming in to learn about a project that Google had put in place called Project Aristotle and the Essentially, what had happened is they started with the premise of effective teams, we should study the composition of teams to figure out what makes a team highly effective so we can replicate it and through this internal study they actually didn't find any um, causal relationship between membership on the team which then shifted the question of well if it doesn't matter who or the type of people in what does matter and they found out how they interact matters how they interact, and you can teach and reinforce and build through the structures that I'm talking about. But he talks about that the highest performing teams had psychological safety. Again, it's coming back to some of Edmondson's work as well, but two key determinants were of that. One was equality and turn-taking, that everyone is having essentially equal voice in the conversation, and the second is attentive listening that people are really drawn in. So to me, I think those are the two, two things that you look for is did we hear all voices in the conversation? I, I did a meeting this morning where I wrote down the people on a page and had a tally mark so I could just keep track of a facilitator of is there someone's voice that we need to bring in because I've learned that's really, really important. And then being able to reflect in were people engaged and you can tell that engagement instantly by not only the physical, um, the physical leaning in or the cell phone didn't come out at all. And if it did, maybe that's something we should attend to in our norms moving forward. Um, but the attentive listening and the equality in voice, to me, those are such key measures of has a team gone well. And when I can walk away saying everybody was talking today and the time just went like that because we were engaged that's that's when you know a team meeting has, has uh, really had the success that you want to see.
1: Well, Curtis, thank you for taking the time. I know that you might feel like we haven't talked a lot about the psychology behind collaborative team meetings, uh, but it, it has come back to that through those routines and rituals, through that creation of safety, that opportunity for vulnerability, as well as efficacy. Yes, and those, those ideas of having equality in turn-taking and being able to hear all voices and people actually listening, like you said, leaning in.
0: Yeah, yeah. Do, do you and you to- hear sometimes leaders go, but how do we get that? Well, you get it through clarity in the structure and the process and and following that, following that through. All the things we've talked about contribute to then getting to the... Oh, the the responses or the returns that we want to be able to see out of the conversation.
1: Yeah, what starts out as mechanical, because you're yeah. trying to follow because you're learning it while you're doing it.
0: Yeah, and awkward. It can feel strange doing some of the processes.
1: It's kind of like the first time you do a math problem. <laughs> the first time you get explored. I don't your...
0: know. I haven't done a math problem in years. <laughs> I say that
1: because <laughs> math homework was on my table last night. Okay. <laughs> But the first time you do it, it's awkward and you're trying to remember what are the steps and what order do I do things Uh-oh. in and so on. By the time you get, get to that fourth or fifth or tenth one, well, you know the process. You just, yeah, it becomes inherent. Yeah,
0: very but I true. thank
1: you for taking the time to be here and to wow. share with our audience because I know how much they appreciate the wisdom that you have as a leader and continue to learn from other leaders who are engaging in the process.
0: Well, Jen, I appreciate all your contributions, not just in the conversation today, but over time as we've we've learned together along this journey. So thank you so, so much. Ensuring success for all students is a moral imperative for all schools, but it takes a highly coordinated framework of structures and processes to maximize the collective capacity of the team.
1: In Collaborative Response, three foundational components that transform how we respond to the needs of learners, we share an organizational mindset that involves fundamental shifts for schools and districts.
0: Numerous school and district examples, as well as access to a large number of resources, are provided within the text and in the accompanying companion website.
1: Join the growing number of schools using collaborative response to ensure high levels of success for students and staff, stemming from the essential belief that every child deserves a team. As I reflect on my conversation with Curtis today, I'm struck by three key learnings pertaining to the psychology of collaborative team meetings. The first is the security that's created in front-loading. Creating that predictable and transparent structure so that people know what's expected of them when they come into the room is hugely impactful. The second is that celebrations are more than just starting off on a positive tone. They really are a way of bringing forth reflection and articulation of positive practice that prove the work we're doing makes a difference. And then the third thing is that space to brainstorm by focusing not on the students, but the key issue. It truly opens up that space where Curtis described the notion of being both an expert and a learner, the opportunity to contribute and also take away. So as I share my three key learnings from this conversation, take a moment to reflect on what yours might be. Please be sure to check out the description and the podcast or YouTube channels that you're following for the resources that were mentioned as part of this conversation because there is a wealth of information that will be provided to you. We look forward to seeing you next time. Take care.
2: For more on collaborative response, visit jigsawlearning.ca or join the JL Insider to receive access to newly added resources and content. Make sure to follow us on social media. Subscribe to the podcast and the Jigsaw Learning YouTube channel to access past and upcoming episodes. Join us again to continue to build your own capacity and leading collaborative response in your context.